Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Um, this study this morning deserves more energy than I can give to it. I'm working through a terrible cold this morning, so hang in there with me. Uh, remember last weekend I told you my wife was sick? Well, we share things at our house. And now I've got her, her little cold, big cold actually, so bear with me. Hey, uh, you guys got married last weekend, didn't you? Why don't you guys stand? Awesome. Good to have you back. See, they're on, you guys are on your honeymoon still, aren't you? Just got back at 1.30 this morning and you showed up to church? Woo! Good job. Good job. Good to see you guys. Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we'll look at verses 9 through 14. This is our doubts and answers series. The question this morning we're looking at, isn't Christianity just another religion? Uh, I'll be taking uh, breaks from time to time, like, like drink breaks and then a little Kleenex breaks, okay? So hang in there with me. A little throat lozenge break. So, so just hang in there as we kind of work through this. Um, this is a powerful topic, and, and it's really critical that you understand this. Most people, even many Christians, are clueless when it comes to Christianity. They really don't know what sets Christianity apart from the major cults and religions of our world today. And um, in fact, let me have you do this. Turn to the folks next to you. We'll do a lot of that too, Okay. Uh, turn to the folks next to you and see if they know who Jesus' uh, severest warnings were to. Jesus taught a lot, but he gave some pretty severe warnings to a certain group of people. Were they atheist or they were, were they the religious group? Real quick, and then ask them why would he give them such severe warnings, whatever group that is. Real quick, see if they know that are sitting around you. <clears throat> Okay, <clears throat> which, which group of people? Atheists or religious people? Religious people. In fact, the devil uh, loves religious people because they do more damage spiritually than any other group of people. And so, you know what? It's really critical that you understand the difference between religion, being a religious person, and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you and many people out there have turned away from the faith because you thought that Christianity was about religion. And you have rejected something that you really don't even understand. I've seen people do that all the time. Because when you begin to understand the distinctiveness of Christianity compared to, to religion in general, oh my goodness. It's mind-blowing. It's breathtaking. And so Jesus' uh, most severe warnings were to, not to atheists, but to religious people. Jesus says to the respectable religious leaders, 
This is what he said in Matthew 21, 31. The tax collectors and the prostitutes entered the kingdom before you. Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. There's a profound and fundamental difference between the way other religions tell us to seek salvation and the way described in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed. And so it's it's critical that as a believer, you need to know what you have embraced because I think that many Christians aren't living fully in all that God has provided for us. And I think many people that have rejected Christianity don't even know what they've really rejected. They have a false idea of that. And so that's where we're headed this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and we'll dive into this text. Father God, once again, we are delighted to be here today to study your word. Help us to see more clearly the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And in that richness... God, we know, help us to see more clearly that you are able to make all grace abound to us so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. God, give me the strength this morning. Help me to communicate accurately and may hearts and ears and eyes see and hear and and absorb all that you have for them through this message this morning for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. So this is where we're going with the study. We're going to look through this text, our universal problem. You can see on the notes, what doesn't work in dealing with the universal problem, what does work. And then we're going to look at the very end. You can see this, this chart that compares and contrasts uh, religion with the gospel. And so by the time we're finished up, I hope that you have a better understanding of the grace of God and the difference between religion and the gospel. Let me begin reading uh, chapter 18 of Luke, verse 9. He also told this parable. The he here is Jesus. So he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Stop there just for a minute. Look up here. You've got to understand this. He's given us a definition of religion right there. Religion is about trusting yourself to achieve a right standing with God, and the natural result of that is that you will, be, uh, you will show contempt to others. Now, if you have ever looked at anyone and said, wow, they would make a really good candidate for Christianity, or, oh, my goodness, that person would never become a Christian, you don't understand the grace of God. And you're showing contempt. And you're, be, you're being religious, exactly what he just said. If you've ever looked at anybody and said, oh, my goodness, they'll never, they would never come to know Jesus, you don't know grace. In fact, if you're kind of thinking, hey, you know what, I can see why God would pick me because, you know, I'm I'm worth picking here because, you know, I pretty much didn't have too much to, you know, to get corrected in my life. Listen, you don't understand grace. In fact, you should look at your faith in Jesus as a miracle. If you don't see it as a miracle, it's like, it's amazing. I can't believe that I'm I'm a child of God. I can't believe it. If it wasn't for the grace of God, rescuing me, oh my goodness, I would be shot. See, that would be the normal attitude of someone that really understands grace. And it would be like this. If he can save me, he can save anybody. See, that's grace. 
That's an understanding of grace. I told you I was going to take some breaks here, so just hang in there with me, okay? Um, so, okay, back to the text. Here we go. So now he's going to unpack this for us. You guys, you guys were able to track with that. So he just gives us the definition right there of religion. And now he's going to make this distinction between these two guys. And he says uh, in verse 10, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let's start off here. First of all, our universal problem. This is something that is uh, part of our lives. Everyone in here has this problem. Everyone out there has this problem. We are desperate for approval. That's your fill in the blank there. We are desperate for approval. Uh, a way that we can put this in kind of a word picture is a resume. We're all working to build our resume. A resume is a validating performance record. So that's how we live our lives, building a resume, this validating performance record. And in fact, there were three words in this text. If you still have your Bibles open, verse 9, it says righteous. Verse 14, justified. And then verse 14, also exalted. It all has the idea of approval or to be approved is what's behind these words. When you study the word righteousness in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it just means to be approved. It means to pass scrutiny. It has that idea of, of having acceptance and security and significance. I was thinking about this. What would be a good illustration that you can kind of wrap your, your brain around to understand that? I was thinking of the movie uh, Rudy. Anybody ever see the movie Rudy? Rudy, Rudy. Okay. Um, that movie, you guys probably didn't even know what I was saying right then, did you? Did you guys know what I was talking about? You know, at the end of the movie where they go, Rudy, Rudy. Once again, how many have seen the movie Rudy? Okay, most of you. You guys know what I'm talking about. So there's a scene in the movie. What did Rudy want to accomplish? He, he wanted to go to Notre Dame. He wanted to play on the Notre Dame uh, football team. And he couldn't, he didn't have the grades and anything, so he's working in this little community college to to try to achieve that. And each time he goes back to the mailbox to see if he got his reception letter, he's distraught. He didn't get it. He has to keep working. He even goes to the priest. says, what do I need to do? Do I need to, you know, what do I need to do to twist God's arm? And he starts doing all these things, trying to figure this out. And then finally the day comes, he gets the acceptance letter and he goes through the ceiling. That's a little bit of that idea, that approval, that sense of, oh my goodness, I made it. And then, you know, he's now he's going to Notre Dame and, and now he's going to have an opportunity. He's going to see if he can make the team. And then he struggled with that and then he eventually makes the team. And so it's really quite the story. So the idea here with this, we're desperate for approval. Acceptance into a prominent school. I just heard from a family here in our church that their daughter got, uh, was received, uh, re- received a full ride for the rest of her uh, education, which was, I mean, that's, that is cool when you receive something like that. That's... 
That's awesome. That's the idea here. Or you get a job offer from an esteemed organization. When I got the phone call for Phoenix Fire, I was pretty excited. I mean, I was in the top 20, 30 out of three, 4,000 that took that. I was excited. I was like, wow, that's really cool. That's a little bit of that idea. Or, or it could be marriage proposal or acceptance from the love of your life. Those are all just a dim glimpse, though, of what we can have in God. Now, where did this problem come from, this problem that we are desperate for approval? Where did it come from? When you go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 3, man and woman were naked and unashamed until they lost God's approval through sin and they immediately started the masquerade party. Look at the, the third chapter. That's, that's we, we begin to start playing the game, trying to, to get our sense of approval from something outside of us. See, without approval, we battle shame, and shame is what drives our addictions. Even it drives a lot of the OCD issues in our life. We're trying to, to, to feel better about ourselves. The more you are absolutely sure of God's approval of you, the more you will live naked and unashamed. No more hiding, no more spinning, no more game playing, no more mask wearing. And here's the, the Bible. I think it's important to emphasize this. The one who knows you the deepest loves you the greatest. The creator, he knows every detail about your life. And yet he has this ferocious, crazy love towards you. And when you begin to live in the reality of his approval of you, it changes everything. Now, what doesn't work? Two things that don't work when we try to, uh, living in this fallen way, we're desperate for approval. What doesn't work is religion and irreligion. Probably the best example of this is found in Luke chapter 15. How many are familiar with the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son. I actually prefer to call it the prodigal sons because both of them were prodigal. But the word prodigal actually means extravagant. And I think it would probably be better called the prodigal father because he was actually extravagant towards both of the sons. But both of the sons were lost. One was the religious son and he, keeping all the rules. And the other one was more irreligion. He took the inheritance and went out and spent it on wild living. Those are the two ways we try to fill that need, that desperation, that hunger for approval. Keeping all the rules, making up my own rules. Now, did you notice in verse 14, he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. What does he mean by that? Exalt yourself, that is a self-salvation project. If you think that you can find approval on your own through either religion or irreligion, irreligion is saying, I don't need God, I can find it on my own. I'll find it through career or family or some accomplishments or whatever. And he's saying, if you try to exalt yourself, ultimately you will be humble. It's a self-salvation project. It's, it's fig leaves. It's putting on fig leaves, which will eventually be blown off of us and we will be exposed. This is an outside-in approach to approval. It is perform, achieve, accomplish, or acquire something on the outside so that you can feel good on the inside. Everybody does this. Uh, here's an example. 
How many of you have ever seen the movie? This is movie day, okay? So I'm going to throw a lot of movies out there. Um, how many of you have ever seen the movie One Rocky, the first Rocky? Rocky movie? Rocky. Okay. It's interesting. He has this conversation with uh, his girlfriend, and she wants to know, why do you want to go the distance in the boxing match? Anybody know? I'll know I'm not a bum. So Rocky is working from a deficit. This is the outside-in approach to approval. If I achieve this, if I, if I go the distance, I'm going to feel good about myself. See, that's, that's the religion or the irreligion. That's not the gospel. It has nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel is just the opposite. We have our approval in God, and then we perform out of that. We'll get to that. We'll talk about that. But that's, that's that whole idea. Now, the problem with this outside-in approach is that as you look at your life, everyone has to live for something. You can't exist unless you're living for something. Whatever that something is becomes the Lord of your life. If you don't live for the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have a Lord in your life. You will have something that you live for. There's something that gets you out of bed in the morning. There's something that drives your life. Any Lord other than Christ is terribly unforgiving and unfulfilling. If you live for career or your family or, or for sports, or, or you can put anything in there. This outside in, you're saying to yourself, if I can do this, I'll know I'm not a bum. All of us, we all tend to do that with something or someone. And if you live for your career, family, sports, and don't do well, it will punish you and torment you the rest of your life. You will feel worthless as a person. And even if you do accomplish it, listen to me, even if you do accomplish a, a measure of success in any of those areas that you're telling yourself that you need to have a sense of meaning and purpose in life, it's terribly unfulfilling because you were not created to somehow take something in creation and to make your life about that. You were created by the creator to make your life about him and him alone. Only he can satisfy your deepest longing and needs. And so that's important to always keep in mind. I was trying to kind of chill out here this morning because I'm not feeling very well, but I just kind of, whoo, kind of went after it right there, just kind of expressed some energy. And so I'm going to have to kind of draw back a little bit and just kind of kick back for just the next couple of thoughts so I can regain my energy to, uh, I'm kidding. Here's a couple of ways that you can uh, kind of look at your life. If your expectation of God's blessing depends on how well you feel you're living the Christian life, then you don't understand God's grace. If you think, well, I can see why my life's not going so well because I really haven't been very faithful to the Lord, you don't understand God's grace. Here's another way of kind of looking at it. If you can't imagine being happy unless something changes in your life, you don't understand God's grace. If I could just accomplish this, if I, could, if I could just get that, if we could just get that house, if I could just drive that car, if I could just get that date, if I could... What? You have everything you need in Jesus Christ. 
Even the most successful careers, families, lives cannot give the acceptance, security, significance the creator of life and love can give you. Listen to what St. Augustine said. He said, if there is a God who created you, then the deepest chambers of your soul simply cannot be filled up by anything less. Many of you know that, but you're not living in the reality of that because you're constantly trying to pursue other things. There's other things that are the Lord of your life. There's other things more important to you, more desirable to you than God, than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called idolatry, by the way. And it will mess with you, and it's terribly unforgiving and unfulfilling. If you're not filled with an inner sense of approval in your heart... If you don't feel incredibly valued and loved and satiated with the acceptance, security, and significance of of God, then you're going to be just like this Pharisee. And here, let me read to you. In fact, there's there's different characteristics that Pharisees and and it's it's really interesting. We don't um, because we're so laid back here. We don't we typically attract more of the irreligious than the religious. Usually, the religious don't hang out with us very long. Go figure, huh? Guy wears shorts, he's sitting on a stool, he's drinking, drinking his drink up there. That's offensive to people that have to have everything in a certain order. It's, and the problem with religious people is that they, they tend to be very bitter, very cynical, sarcastic, because life hasn't gone their way. We'll talk about that a little bit more. They're very self-righteous, holier than thou. God forbid that you should ever share your faults with us with a religious person because they will dog you, they will preach to you, they will try to fix you. And uh, it's that holier-than-thou kind of an attitude, very, very condescending, condemning, judgmental. And religious people have this joyless, fear-motivated compliance. They're all about form and no substance, very ritualistic, all about rules, very rules-oriented. So think... When you think of the religious, think of the elder brother in the prodigal son's story, 15th chapter of Luke. That guy was a pain. He had a bad attitude. His brother comes home. Dad's throwing a party. Brother didn't care less. Can you imagine if... If instead of the younger brother uh, being received by dad, but somehow the older brother got to him before dad got to him. And that's what happens oftentimes in our churches these days. Elder brothers get to younger brothers before they can get to dad. That's the reason why the devil likes religious people, because they do more damage. Because they're, they're miserable in their life. Now, let me read to you something from... Tim Keller, this was pretty convicting for me. And he talks about this moral performance narrative. So keep in mind, moral performance narrative, we all tend to live it. We either do it in a religious way or an irreligious way. Even when we have come to faith in Christ, there are certain things in our life that we feel that we are not accomplished, you know, unless I've achieved this or acquired this or, or whatever it might be. And he says that's what drives our lives. And he says a moral performance narrative, another mark of the moral performance narrative is a constant need to find fault, win arguments, and prove that all opponents are not just mistaken but dishonest sellouts. Ooh, that's convicting for me. Because I'll, I'll do that when it comes to other churches oftentimes. Ah, you know, I'll have that kind of an attitude. It's, it's a very elder brother kind of an attitude. However, when the gospel is deeply grasped, our need to win arguments is removed and our language becomes gracious. 
We don't have to ridicule our opponents, but instead we can engage them respectfully. People who live in the moral performance narrative use sarcastic, self-righteous, put-down humor, or have no sense of humor at all. Lewis speaks of the unsmiling concentration upon self, which is the mark of hell. The gospel, however, creates a gentle sense of irony. We find a lot to laugh at, starting with our own weaknesses. They don't threaten us anymore because our ultimate worth is not based on our record or performance. He goes on and quotes, Martin Luther had the basic insight that moralism is the default mode of the human heart. Even Christians who believe the gospel of grace on one level can continue to operate as if they have been saved by their works. In The Great Sin in Mere Christianity, Lewis writes, If we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. Pretty profound. So that holier-than-thou, self-righteous kind of an attitude is, is what, what that creates. So what, it, what, what does work? God's complete approval. That's the next on your notes. God's complete approval. In fact, this is really a... You could read through this text and miss this, but in verse 13, did you notice he uses the word merciful? God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the tax collector... That word means to make reconciliation. It means to make atonement. So the the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, that's what it literally means, to make reconciliation. So what this guy is saying, he's saying, God, I can't build a bridge to you, but I know that you can build a bridge to me. You can make reconciliation. I mean, that's profound. That's amazing. That's the gospel. Here on the one side, this guy's boasting about, God, I'm glad I'm not like this person over here, always comparing, always looking at how great he is. I mean, he's not really talking to God. He's talking to himself. He's boasting. And yet this guy's saying, oh God, be merciful to me. God, you can build a bridge to me. I am desperate for you. I need you. In fact, I gave you some uh, cross-references. The only other time this particular word, merciful, this Greek word is used, it's used in Hebrews 2.17. Let me read through these cross-references, and this is what it says. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, talking about Jesus in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We talked about propitiation last week. So all the wrath of God was placed upon Jesus. That was wrath that was directed towards us. We were objects of God's wrath. We were enemies of God. Jesus died on the cross, took all of that on himself, and he gave us his righteousness. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we stand completely righteous, approved, accepted, secure, significant. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. There's no other belief system on this planet Earth that comes close to that. Everything else is works righteousness. This is grace righteousness, right standing before God, access to the throne room of God. All the resources of heaven are available to us by faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's what he's saying here. God, you build the bridge to me. You're the one that comes and rescues me. Let me read to you a couple more verses here. Romans 1.17, it just gives us the definition of, of, uh, of our righteousness, our faith in Jesus. It says, for in it, the righteousness of God, okay, righteousness meaning approval, acceptance, um, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Um, Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified just as if we've never even sinned. Therefore, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. All the sins you've committed, he's not gonna hold those against you ever, ever again. He indwells you with his presence. So there's no problem you'll ever face that's beyond his ability uh, to help you get through that. And your future is secure in him. Oh my goodness. I mean, what more do you need? You have everything in him. So, so therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why we don't have the peace of God ruling our hearts and minds is because we don't understand that we have peace with God to the degree I understand I have peace with God is to the degree no matter what goes down in my life, I have peace, the peace of God that rules my heart and my mind because I know that I can trust his loving, wise control of my life. I know he's in control. I don't understand a lot of the things that are going on in my life and yet he's with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. He has shown his love to me. If God is for me, who can be against me? Oh my goodness, it's just, it's, oh, it's crazy. I mean, I've been living this stuff for many, many years and it, it seems to get more and more wonderful for me the more I, I live this out, the more I, I understand, the more I gaze upon the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I use language like my heart is smitten, I'm telling you my heart is smitten by the beauty and the glory of Jesus and what he's done for us. Do you see that? When you understand that, you have acceptance. You have all the approval. You have everything you need in him. You don't achieve it out there, but out of that fullness, then you perform. That's how you begin to live your life. It makes all the difference in the world. Here's another one. This was the verse that we used last week. Um, Let me get a drink here, okay? Here we go. I'm I'm already starting to feel better right now. Woo! Here we go. Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is justified. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay. So uh, I went through those. And so here's, here it is it's not performance leads to approval, but it's approval leads to performance. So, what do you want to land that job? Why do you want to get that raise? Why do you want to graduate? Is it about you and the deficit you have going on inside of you? Or is it because out of that fullness you want to put on display the glory of God? Is it about your glory or is it about his glory? There's a movie clip. It's been a while since I've shown it. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites, so it's time to show it again. It's one of my top, uh, top five movies. It's uh, Les Miserables. For you rednecks, it's less miserables. And uh, 
but it's, uh, there's a scene in this movie that it's just, it, it really helps us to understand this idea of grace. And by the way, I don't like the redone movie here that was just recently. Too much singing, man. Did you guys think it was too much singing? Though I thought, you know, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of singing once in a while. But man, alive. The whole thing was singing. So guess what? My wife and I, we sing to each other all the time. That's not real. I can see if they broke into a song from time to time, but not when you're trying to carry on conversation. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you the rest of this message in a song? Yeah, that was monotonous. Besides the fact that it was like 10 hours long. We're going to probably still buy it anyway, but uh, because I like the movie. But the, the better movie is Liam Neeson, the one a uh, number of years ago. This one I'm going to show you a clip of. And uh, in this one, Jean Valjean, this is Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. And Jean Valjean is a bitter ex-convict. He steals silver from a bishop who has already shown him kindness. He is caught by the military police and he's brought back. It's about a five-minute clip, so just hang in there, but I want you to get the sense of the feel of what he experienced. So under, he's brought back under arrest to the bishop's home, and in an act of radical grace, the bishop gives Valjean the silver and releases him from the arrest. This act of mercy shakes him to the core Valjean chooses to let grace have its way with him. He gives up his deep self-pity and bitterness and begins to live a life of graciousness towards others. I mean, it just revolutionizes his life. Listen to me. Every one of us needs to have one of these kind of encounters where all of a sudden it dawns on us and our hearts are smitten by the beauty and the glory of Christ. This is what happened to this guy. Watch this. crime did you commit? Maybe I killed some. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it. 19 years and change. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with the yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon, and then what? Starve to death? <laughs> 19 years, and now the real punishment begins. <laughs> Men can be unjust. Men, not God. All right, whoever you are, thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in. A real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man.
Is anybody there? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. scene that's a great scene here's from the book Jean Valjean my brother you no longer belong to evil but to good it is your soul that I buy from you I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition and I give it to God those are powerful words and Here's what happens. This is what happened to me many years ago and continues to happen to me. That there are times in my life when it's almost as if I'm looking into the very face of God. And I'm just overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude and, and love and, and approval as I begin to see the, the indispensableness and the costliness of His blood shed for me on the cross to redeem my life. Listen to me. There is no sin, 
that you've ever committed. There's no sin that's ever been committed against you that can't be redeemed by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He redeems us. He restores our lives. Oh my goodness, when you understand that and you live in the reality of it, there's not a better way to live your life. That's why I'm a Christian today. There's a major difference between Christianity and all the major cults and religions of our world today. There's a major difference between Christianity and the gospel and how many people who claim the gospel live it out. They're bitter, they're angry, they're ritualistic, they're hard to get along with. I'm telling you, when the grace gets a hold of your heart, you're never the same and you continue to nurture that and you begin to respond to everybody in your life with grace. With amazing grace. And so, okay, so what does that look like, Pastor Ray? How will I live that out? Okay, here's the chart. This is what it looks like. Now, most of us are going to find ourselves on the left side of the chart. That's the default mode, is the religious side. But we need to constantly say, okay, God, help me to live on the right side. Help me to understand what this grace is all about. God, I need another encounter with your grace so that I can live in the reality of what you've, what you've offered me. And... Uh, and, and so when you understand that you're operating out of approval in your life, when you succeed in life, whether it be your marriage, your kids, your job or whatever, you're not filled with pride. You're not filled with pride. Or if you even fell, uh, fall or fail in any of those areas, you're not filled with despair because that's not your identity. Because you're always operating out of abundance because of who Christ is and what he's done for you. Now, here's the difference. Here it is. Religion, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Gospel, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. So your obedience flows out of your acceptance. So if you're struggling with obedience, get to know his, how much he's accepted you and loves you. If, you're, if you don't know him very well, the more you get to know him, the more you're going to want to obey him. Here's the next one. So the motive, religion... With religion, the motive is fear and insecurity. I better live right. God's going to get me. But the gospel, the motive is grateful joy. After all he's done for me, why wouldn't I want to live my life for him? I mean, why why would I want to play in the mud puddle when he's got a Caribbean cruise waiting for me? Why do I want to dumpster dive when I can go to claim jumper? I mean, that's that's the contrast. If you think that out there somewhere you're going to find satisfaction in the pursuit of whatever sin you're pursuing, it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. And so, oh, here's the next one. Uh, religion, I obey to get things from God. That's, that's very paganistic. Hey, you know, I, I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to a small group, I drop money in the box because when I do that, my life goes better. What? God is a means to an end. You're missing the gospel. Here's gospel. I obey to enjoy and display God's glory. By the way, this is a modified version. If you go on Google, do a Google search and type in religion versus gospel, Keller, Tim Keller, you can get one that's more comprehensive than what we're walking through. And I I read this in our game of life. I'll read this regularly just to make sure that I'm staying on track. Okay, this is, here's the gospel. Got to stay away from religion. God, help me to see your grace more clearly. Here's the next one. When bad circumstances happen to people that are religious, they're angry at God or themselves. Think about that. They're angry at God because, hey, I deserve better than this. I lived a good life. That's that attitude of entitlement. You don't understand what he's done for you and what he continues to do for you. In fact, 
the gospel, when you have bad circumstances, you realize that's not punishment. All the punishment was laid on Jesus. So he's not going to punish you for your sin. That was already put on Jesus. But this could be training, and it certainly is training. And you know in your heart that his fatherly love is more than enough to get you through. So no matter what you're going through, you know that his grace is sufficient. You know that he will never leave you or forsake you. He guaranteed that to you on the cross regardless of what goes down in your life. Because you put your faith in him, he's there. He's there for you. Here's the next one. When you're criticized, how many like to be criticized? Anybody? Nobody. I, nobody likes to be criticized, but criticism will tell you a lot about where your heart is. When you're criticized, religious people either blow up or melt down. Does that sound like you? Sounds like me. I mean, I've worked really hard to get beyond that because so much of my sense of identity was wrapped up in my virtuous, moral, having it all together kind of an attitude and created a lot of fights between my wife and I in that because I I felt like it was all her fault. And and that's oftentimes that she thought it was all my fault. It was very self-righteous and it was just really crazy. But that's very religious. But, But when you're in the gospel, you're criticized, you struggle, but you're open to criticism because your identity's in Christ. It's not in your... Yourself, It's not in virtuous, moral, having it all together behavior. That's how you became a Christian. You were criticized. You weren't, you're a sinner and you came by faith in Jesus. And so he's going to continue to work in your life. Here's the next one. These get a little bit more convicting. How about prayer and Bible? When was the last time you picked up your Bible? When was the last time you prayed? Does it only seem to happen when, when it heats up in suffering? So you find yourself really hitting your Bible and praying and coming to church when bad things are happening. You're using God. That's called paganism, okay? And you, you're missing the big E on the eye chart. You're missing Jesus. You're missing the, the, the pleasure of knowing God and experiencing him. See, in the gospel, in the gospel, prayer and Bible, it means fellowship with God. And so... For religious people, prayer and Bible is more about petition. It's about coming to God and getting things done and controlling the circumstances to where a gospel-oriented person, it's about fellowship and it's predominantly praise and adoration. It's not about changing the circumstances. It's just about changing me and, and wanting to honor God and experience his presence in our lives. How about self-image? The religious person, they're swaggering and sniveling. In other words, there's superiority or inferiority. Superiority or inferiority. There's this, hey, look at me, look what I've accomplished. Or there's this despair. All I want to know is when my wife was sick, she didn't lift a finger around the house. And now that I'm sick, I still have to do my job. (laughs) My wife's sitting right over there and I'm not going to go home after this is over. No, she worked. She, she tries to keep up even when she's sick. In fact, I think she got that rebounded on her because she got, tried to get around and start doing too much. But, but there's, that, there's that, I was using that as an example, by the way. I wasn't really, I didn't really mean that. I didn't, honey. Please let me in the house. There's almost this swaggering and this sniveling. Did you hear a little bit of swaggering and sniveling in that? There's this kind of attitude that was an example, okay? Uh, self-image gospel is humble confidence. Humble confidence. So check this out. So when, this is what gives, gives us the humility is that we are more sinful than we ever dared to think. We were so sinful, Jesus had to die for us. 
There was no other way you could have a right relationship with God apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. So that humbles you. How could you ever feel arrogant? Like you earned the right to have a relationship with God. You didn't earn nothing that was given to you. So that humbles you, but it also gives you confidence that you're more loved than you ever dared to dream. He loved you so much, he wanted to die for you. That's crazy. That's crazy love. So this creates this wonderful balance, and it's really what C.S. Lewis called a blessed self-forgetfulness. Your life isn't self-absorbed. It's God-absorbed. You're taken out of yourself because you're mesmerized by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done. And you've never been more alive and more free than when you put your faith in Jesus and, and have experienced him because you're beginning to understand grace. And so then you're beginning to offer grace to anybody and everybody around you as you live in the reality of it. Because it's just, it's amazing, amazing grace. And then here's the last one. The fruit, religious people are judgmental, self-righteous, excessive anxiety, anger, sadness, because they've overly attached their heart to temporal things that are being threatened, blocked, and lost, and therefore there goes their heart. But if you understand the gospel, you're going to have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And... uh, You're going to enjoy many good things of life without being controlled by those things because you're not building your identity on your career, your job, your kids, your marriage, or any of those things. So when those things are lost or blocked or threatened, therefore it doesn't hold on to you as much as it could because your identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's it. We're finished. And we did good on the time. Oh my goodness. We got plenty of time. So I'm going to tell you a story and then we're going to be out of here. Uh, let me tell you this quick story. This is a, uh, a guy who was raised in a legalistic church. You guys know what I mean by legalistic? Very religious church, works, works righteousness kind of a church. And uh, they told him that, hey, you have to witness for Jesus. You have to witness for Jesus. But he couldn't witness for Jesus because he was desperate for people's approval. And he needed their approval because he didn't have God's approval and he didn't have... God's approval because he didn't witness for Jesus, so he thought. He thought that he needed to meet these standards so that he could have God's approval. And he couldn't witness for Jesus because he needed, he needed their approval. And, uh, and this, there was this crazy spiraling downward kind of a thing happening in his life. And this is the outside-in approach. It's very Pharisee-related. Outside-in leads to pride. So if he started witnessing for Jesus, it became very good. He would look down on those that weren't witnessing for Jesus. That's typical to that. But because he couldn't witness for Jesus, he was feeling a lot of despair. Second-rate Christian, beating himself up. So he had a friend who took him to another pastor who understood grace and told him that God loves him the same whether he witnesses or not. It doesn't matter. God still loves you the same. You can have his approval regardless of what you do. And that took a hold of his life. It was almost like one of those, like that scene in that movie, Les Miserables, where he began to understand and the Holy Spirit began to illuminate that in his heart and life. And the, and the more this guy understood the gospel, the more, his friend said, the more he began to witness for Jesus unlike he ever witnessed before because the gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves because we already have the approval of the only one in the universe that matters. 
lives. And so out of that abundance, then we begin to live a life that puts him on display. And we're not threatened by what other people say about us. Our identity is not built on the approval of others. It's already built up in Jesus Christ. So you don't start with behavior, but with heart change. And heart change comes from approval from God. So what are you struggling with? What behavioral issues are you struggling with? You don't work on those. You, you go back to your acceptance, your significance, your security in Christ. And then out of that, as that begins to transform your heart, it's going to begin to change your, your behavior in all of who you are. Approval, approval with God brings heart change, which brings behavioral change. Inside out, inside out is humble confidence. Outside in is more about pride and, and despair. And this guy uh, became very winsome, kind, loving, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, all for God's glory, and was able to continue to put on display the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's stand with me for closing prayer. Next week, we, uh, we wrap up this teaching series. We're going to talk about doubt. We've been talking a little bit about doubt all week long, but if you're still struggling with doubt, what do you do with your doubts? We'll finish up our series on, on this topic next weekend. And... Uh, It will be good. Doubts and answers. Here we go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your grace. I pray that every person here has maybe just had a a dim glimpse of just a little bit more understanding of, of the reality of your amazing grace. It is truly amazing that in the gospel of, of grace, we are more sinful than we ever dared to think. We were so sinful. You had to die for us, eliminating pride and superiority but we, we are more loved than we ever dared to dream. You loved us so much you wanted to die for us, eliminating fear, giving us that humble confidence that we so desperately need. And out of that fullness that we would, we would live our lives for your glory. May those truths continue to supernaturally transform our lives from the inside out. May we share those truths with those within our circle of touch. We pray for your glory and our unspeakable and glorious joy. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.